Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka. Come on, guys. Let me take over. And Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hey, wake Wake up, everybody. Welcome into Hawks Live. It's Dave Wyman and Paul Moyer. We're broadcasting from Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. And uh, we're going to have a a great show tonight. Paul and I are running the thing. And if we screw it up, I say we blame the whole thing on CTE. What do you think? I I do every day, Dave. Okay, there you go. That's it. I always I get get hit in the head a lot. Tonight, we're going to listen to, we're going to, we're going to talk to uh, Andrew Mason from DenverBroncos.com. We're going to go inside the film room with the coach here, Coach Moyer. And we're talking to John Clayton, Danny O'Neill, but Jerron Brown is going to be here live at 8 o'clock and uh, just has been fantastic in the preseason and number 18 out there catching passes just done a really good job and he's a really nice guy we've talked to him a couple of times so uh, yeah welcome into the show Paul and uh, what, what do you think about this uh, I'll ask you a very broad question what are you most excited about to see in this game in Denver after that preseason that we saw well you know it's really interesting you go back just three years ago Three years ago, Denver wins the Super Bowl. You know, we go back five years ago, the Seahawks win the Super Bowl. Four years ago, we're in the Super Bowl. So three times in a row of those two teams in the Super Bowl. And now, you know, it's almost like we're both are afterthoughts. And it's, it's amazing how quick uh, and how things change in the NFL. I will say this. It's going to be a tough game, yeah, particularly their defense. They've got Chubb as well as Vaughn Miller coming off the edge. That's, that's going to be a battle. On top of that, I learned this from Brock Heward today. Denver is 17-1 and one in their last 18 home openers. How about that? That's pretty good. We are 5-21 and 21 at Denver. Dave, you and I had two of those wins. Yeah, I, I know. I want you to know. So two of those five. But Did we win in 87? We won in 88. Actually, we won in 88. Won, I won in 84 and 88. Okay. So uh, you only got one of those wins. But it was a great win. And you remember it. It was a home opener. We're playing against John Elway there. And, and just how difficult that air is. You know, you think you're in great shape, but it takes you know, 30 to a minutes to an hour just to run wind sprints, trying to get tired so you get your second win before the game starts. So right. so it's it's an interesting challenge. Um, but I'm excited. I, I just think in the last six years, this is the first time I'm just not sure what's going to happen. I think it could go either way from a, a 12-win team, if some of these rookies really go off well, uh, to, you know, an 8-8 eight and eight year. Um, I, I don't predict 4-8 and eight by any means. So I'm excited to see what some of these young guys do. We're going to start two rookies probably this week. Uh, it's going yeah. to be an exciting week. Well, and it's interesting to, to look at uh, the draft that they had. And I know Pete has compared it to 2012, which was a really exciting year. Yeah. If you remember, a lot of young guys, that was after a draft that was rated at, at D+. After the draft, with Russell Wilson, he's too short, he can't play. Bobby Wagner's from Utah State. That ended up being one of the best drafts in NFL history. Honestly, and so that was a very exciting year. But, you know, now those guys are the older guys. So you've got Bobby Wagner, you've got Russell Wilson, you've got Pete Carroll. And so that's what, and Dwayne Brown and Doug Baldwin. And so I feel like they're being discounted a little bit. But Danny O'Neill today on Danny Dave Moore asked us, asked both Jim and I this question, is does this team go the way of its rookies? Because they do have, they, they drafted nine guys this year. 
Uh, they kept seven of them on their regular roster. You know, one's on IR, Jamarco Jones, and then, of course, Alex Magoo was, was released and then cleared waivers and is signed now on the practice squad. But, you know, you're going to have major contributions from rookies in this game. The very first game, you got Will Disley playing a lot of tight end, Rashad Penny. Um, and then Shaquem Griffin is starting, you know, the punter even, Paul, uh, Rasheem uh, Green. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with it. Great, great punter, too. Yeah, so there, there's a lot, I think, riding on uh, on some of the younger guys. Well, and you throw in Trey Flowers. We'll see what happens there. I'd heard earlier today that uh, uh, Dante Johnson, who's supposed to start, didn't practice today with a hip. So we'll find out a little bit more from Danny and, and some of the, you know, maybe uh, John Clayton, too. But if that's the case, you're going into Denver. And I'm, I'll ask you, because you played at Denver, you know, how hard that is. But to, to be a rookie, a linebacker, going in yeah. to Denver, you know, what, what's Griffin up against? Well, I remember my rookie year. I got in the game a little bit because I think Fred Young got hurt at the time. It was Fred Young and Brian Bosworth starting. And my knees were shaking. I, I was scared to death and didn't really quite know, you know, what to make of, of that whole thing. But, yeah, it's a tough place to go and play. I don't really remember the the altitude being that much uh, of a difference. But, you know, I think the, the one thing that you have to overcome as a rookie is you, you have to, and I'm trying to remember, I, th- I think it was Rasheem Green that said, look, just go play football. Just go play. And that's the thing. I think when you're a rookie, you go, I've been fighting my whole life to get to this point, and now here I am, and I'm looking. And for me, I was looking across the line at John Elway. And, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> and I played with him at Stanford, but look, I mean, this is the big leagues now. And if you can kind of put that aside, and to me it was always a big hit or something like that that sort of brought you back to reality, and it's just going out and playing. I think that that's the thing as a, as a rookie that you just have to realize. You know, when we sit in this seat now, rather than being a player or a coach, when I sit in this seat and I just look on paper, I go, it's it's a game I chalk up as a win. When I look at the schedule, yeah. as, as much as Denver had struggled, but this is a game of emotion. And that team, the Denver Broncos, worked their tail off in the offseason, worked their tail off in, in training camp. They're psyched for this season to, to begin. They've checked off that this is a game that they can win. And, and just how tough it's going to be emotionally. And I, I was thinking about, you know, Griffin playing linebacker as a rookie. And he, he played fantastic in preseason. And, and that's what I would love to tell him is just go make plays. Because the game, you're going to make mistakes. I, I promise you. They're, they're not going to run the same play, same formation twice. So you're going to be scrambling going, oh, what's coming next? And at some point, you just got to say, I'm just going to react as a football player. Until you become a veteran and, and actually know what play's coming, uh, that that's my advice to him because it, it's going to be a battle for him. Well, Paul, you played safety in the NFL, of course, and then uh, and coached defensive backs, and you got a pretty uh, significant piece back this week in Earl Thomas. Is Earl? Yeah, no, I heard that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. You, you did hear that? Huh? I did. <laughs> Boy, you must be uh, really dug in yeah, with I'm, the I'm, information. I'm, I'm working. It was hard. everywhere, no, pretty I'm, much. <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, look, first of all, it is great news. <clears throat> I, when you have the best safety in the league come back to your team. Um, it's great news. The challenge is it was also an emotional holdout. It was an emotional holdout for Earl Thomas um, in that, you know, he, he felt that they should have extended the contract. He'd said, you know, he felt, you know, disrespected. Once they get on the field and they're between the white lines, Earl's going to be great. But the challenge to me, you know, remember when Cam held out a few years ago? This isn't plug and play. With Cam, it was a bit of plug and play because he, all the guys on that defense had been together. 
So they knew exactly what to expect. This defense, we're looking at between seven and nine new starters at different positions. And so it's, it's not as much plug and play. I think it's going to be a, a tougher learning curve because he doesn't know some of the guys in front of him. He doesn't know, he's never even practiced with them in the offseason. Right. But with that being said, this is good news. The, the players are happy he's back. They love Earl. I mean, Earl is, he's a Hall of Famer. You just got to take the emotion away. And emotion eventually does die out. Right. And, it, and it becomes about football again. And I hope it becomes football on Sunday for him. Well, and that's the thing about as, as a player, you take care of your business during the off season. And I don't know about you, Paul, but when I reported, it's like, okay, this is all football. And I know Chuck Knox did a great job teaching both you and I of the difference between the business yep. side and the football side. Well, coming up next here on Hawks Live, we're going to dive into uh, Seahawks Week 1 and uh, get some uh, some views from uh, the opponent, the other side. Andrew Mason, who's a beat writer for DenverBroncos.com, he'll join us next right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka and Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hey, welcome back to Hawks Live. We're here live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. I want to take a a moment here to thank our, our sponsors, Heritage Distillings, Batch Number 12 Vodka, and the good people at Legendary Donuts, Kenny and oh, Shannon, yes. here tonight. Thank you so much for that. My wife gets very happy. Yeah. I, when you bring home the, yes. the donuts, it's always a good thing. And, and right now we're joined by Andrew Mason, who's a writer for DenverBroncos.com. Andrew, thanks so much for coming on with us. No problem. Good to talk to you guys. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Now, I'll start off with, uh, I guess, uh, my most burning question. Tell us about Case Keenum. I thought he was so good in, in Minnesota that they would keep him there. They end up getting Kirk Cousins, and, and you guys uh, got Case Keenum. And having been a, uh, a teammate uh, with John Elway and a good friend, I feel like he got the best quarterback that was out on the market. But uh, what, what's he shown you so far there? Uh, he's shown everything that Broncos hoped he would in terms of stabilizing the offense. Of course, you know they went through three quarterbacks last year, and uh, none of them did very well. And most beyond that, none of them really kind of displayed the gravitas, the leadership, the presence, all of those things you expect from a quarterback. Case Keenum is bringing that to this offense. Really looks in control of things out there. Even though he's the new guy in the huddle, he is firmly in command of it. And just the uh, the leadership that he's brought to that position is evident even in practice. Certainly translates to the game to the games as well, the preseason games so far. And the other thing, quite frankly, because he has a good command of the offense, uh, he allows the Broncos to do some things in no huddle they haven't been able to do much of the last couple of years. And uh, one thing that Bill Musgrave, their offensive coordinator, Vance Joseph, their head coach, want to do is take things up tempo. So Case Keenum has the ability to do that. He's been everything the Broncos hoped he'd be so far. You know, we were talking earlier, it's remarkable that, you know, five years ago the Seahawks won a Super Bowl, four years ago we're, we're in the Super Bowl, three years ago Denver wins the Super Bowl, and now both these teams are kind of afterthoughts. The, outside of just quarterback, what was just the biggest drop-off from last year to just a few years ago in their Super Bowl winning season? Well, actually, I would say uh, past defense, even though you still had uh, Akeem Tlaib there last year, and you still have Chris Harris Jr. back, and you still have Von Miller rushing the passer. Denver's pass defense was uh, not as effective as it was in 2015 and in 2016. Now, there were some 
reasons beyond that that kind of went beyond the pass defense. They were dealing with a lot of short fields because the offense was turning the ball over constantly. Um, but at the same time, uh, really, you look at the, the, the Broncos in terms of the, the pass rush and pass defense, not where it's been. Now, they think they can get back to that by having Bradley Chubb, their number five overall pick, complimenting Vaughn Miller. But, uh, yeah, the pass defense isn't quite what it was back uh, in their Super Bowl year 2015. Hey, we're talking to Andrew Mason from uh, DenverBroncos.com. And, Andrew, you know, 5-11 uh, and 11 last year, and I know how demanding the Bronco fans can be having played there for, for three years. It's tough. What's, mm-hmm. uh, what are the expectations from this, this team this year as far as, you know, a lot of pressure on John Elway? Yeah, a lot of pressure on John Elway, a lot of pressure on Vance Joseph going into year two. There were rumors flying uh, in week 17 of last year that uh, – he would be sacked uh, for the 5-11 and season. He ended up keeping his job, but I think he's got to have a good season and get off to a good start here to kind of stabilize his position there. I think the atmosphere among the fans, uh, it's, it's a little bit restless. I'd say there's cautious optimism having seen Case Keenum have a couple of good performances in the preseason, uh, having seen Emmanuel Sanders, who struggled with injuries last year, get re-involved in the offense but it is cautious I want to put the cautious on with the optimism there I think people are kind of holding back a little bit they want to wait and see and even if this team gets off to a good start I think they're still going to wait and see because last year's team went three and one and then the roof caved in in an eight game losing streak that was their longest in a half century what do you think they're going to want to do or what's what's their philosophy offensively going into this game I, I, I look at You've got Devontae Booker, who they've got on the depth chart as a starter, but it, it looks like it's going to be Royce Freeman. Is this is this a team who's going to throw it 70% of the time, or is or they still want to try and run the football first? I think they want to run the football first, have a balanced offense. And Now, Royce Freeman, they did name him the starter on Monday. Uh, Devontae Booker is going to be a situational back. He'll rotate in, look for Devontae Booker more on third downs uh, than other downs to take advantage of his pass protection ability and also his ability to catch passes out, out of the backfield. So, you know, Freeman's going to start, but they want to establish the run. I think also the offensive identity is limit mistakes. The thing that really undermined the Broncos more than anything last year was offensive giveaways, especially from the quarterback position. So they look at Case Keenum, and he only threw seven interceptions last year, and he made generally good decisions when he was out there with the Vikings. And they're counting on that solid decision-making following him from Minnesota to Denver. And the offense understanding that, okay, we're not going to move the ball downfield all the time. But let's not put our defense in the kind of disadvantageous position that they did last year. I believe the Broncos uh, led the league in having opponents start drives in their own, in, in Denver territory. So that's something that they want to fix. And uh, you know, I think the first priority for the offense and the first stamp of their identity is eliminate mistakes. Hey, Andrew, uh, you know, of course, <laughs> good friends with John Elway, so a little bit bias on this, but man, I look at what he has done there, not only as a player, but, you know, the Broncos just get entirely, they go and get Peyton Manning, and they just get whooped in the Super Bowl by by the Seahawks, and within two years, John Elway builds the number one defense, and that was the reason why they won that Super Bowl against the Carolina Panthers, not because of 
of uh, Peyton Manning. And so it just seems like uh, he, he probably gets a little bit more leeway there. And just talk about just in general how he is revered there in Denver. Well, there's no one bigger in this state. And, that, and I would say that even the governor of Colorado is not as <laughs> recognized by as many people from border to border as John Elway. He, is, he, he doesn't run this state, but he certainly is the most famous figure in this state. And, yeah, he's going to have a, a lot of rope. But at the same time, after two years out of the playoffs, there are definitely some uh, restless fans despite that. But the thing with Elway, you talked about how he built one of the best offenses in NFL history that was sailing along beautifully until Super Bowl Forty Eight, like you all know about. And then the response to that was to beef up the defense and build an all-time defense in 2015. He's very good at kind of re, maybe not remaking himself, but reassessing and reprioritizing to fix what went wrong. And I think that bore itself out in this year's draft. Uh, recent draft classes, 2014, 2017, not as fruitful as they would like. So they changed the point of em- points of emphasis and the players they were trying to draft focused on leaders. You know, I believe all but one of their draft picks was a team captain. You had a lot of fifth-year seniors, guys who had their degrees and were in graduate school uh, in this draft class. A very mature, high-character draft class. All of them are still with the team in some capacity. One's on the Dave Williams on the practice squad. Torsten Magali is on IR, but they all made the team, plus a couple of undrafted rookies. And they have infused a a maturity into the team that some previous draft classes for the Broncos – had lacked. And that's evidence, I think, of how Elway can earnestly and frankly look at a situation, say, what are we doing wrong? Let's do this differently. Let's fix this. That's his strength as a GM. Andrew, we really appreciate your uh, your perspective and taking the time out. And uh, Can I get a prediction from yeah, him, though? Go ahead. Real quick, Andrew, <laughs> what do you think? What do you expect from this team? I, I, I'm going to go with 9-7. and seven. I actually predicted it on air today out here. I said 9-7. and seven. And I think they will be the number six seed. I am actually winning a tiebreaker with the Chiefs for the last wild card spot. And uh, if the Broncos come out with that after last year's five and five and eleven campaign, I think uh, most people in Colorado will regard that as a as a successful season. All right, and I'm guessing that uh, your prediction includes one of those nine wins is against, against the <laughs> yes. Seahawks. Am I right? It, it, it does, yes, but this is it's one of those okay, games I've, I've got that can swing either way. Can't wait to see what happens Sunday. <laughs> Andrew, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. No problem. Good luck to you guys. Yep. There goes Andrew Mason from DenverBroncos.com. Well, you know, of course he's got to pull for his team. Well, there. No, it's I, a tough I, place I, to play. I, I, well, I also think it's, it, there's going to be a lot of split opinions yep. on who's going to win this Sunday. Hey, coming up next, we're going to go inside the film room. Paul, Coach Paul Moore, you're going to put your coaching hat on. That's next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka and Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. Dave Wyman and Paul Moore, I want to thank... uh, Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar for delicious fish and chips. 
the food here is fantastic, What'd you have, Dave? Paul. Do you have Fish anything? and chips, I Paul. thought you would. Yeah, I like the short ribs here, but yeah. uh, really good. Be sure to join us here every Thursday so you can enjoy the food, too. Uh, right now, we're going to go inside the film room and, uh, and uh, break some of these plays down. And one, one of the things that we saw, and, and Paul, I don't know about you, I, I wasn't sure about Brandon Marshall and whether or not he was going to be a part of this team. He didn't practice early on, but, uh, but they used his big body in, in Minnesota to get a crucial catch for, for 20 yards. Russell from the shotgun away. It's a four-man rush. Has time. Steps up. Throws to the corner. Reaching up, making the catch is Brandon Marshall inside the 10. They'll mark him down at the six-yard line. That is why you have that veteran, Brandon Marshall, all six foot five, 232 pounds of him. The six-time Pro Bowler reaches up for a 20-yard pickup. What do you make of Brandon Marshall, Paul? I, I, the, the guy, he was a surprise to me. I thought, well, maybe they just sign him and work him out. We'll see what happens. And he's not only been a, a good player and a big body for Russell Wilson, he's a great practice player. For a guy that's been in the league for a yeah. long time, helping out Trey Flowers, it's been a great addition to this team so far. Yeah, in, in the past, and you can go 20, 30 years, when, when you sign a, a veteran all-pro guy, and you know he even has Hall of Fame-type numbers, but you know at the time, I mean, he was probably top three receiver in the league in, a, in his prime. When you get those guys in the 30s, it's rare they're in fantastic shape and that they can still play to that ability. And there's no way for me to say this properly. But he has the finest body I've ever seen. Okay? This is uncomfortable. I wouldn't have have used the word fine. Best. I mean, it's the finest. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, he is, it's, it's remarkable if you ever get a chance to go watch him practice and just what he looks like in a uniform. Now, he has some skill sets. He's six foot five. He's got strong hands. And on this particular play that we just called, they lined him up as the outside receiver, but he lined up inside the numbers. And what, they, what they're trying to do is create space so they can run a fade route to the outside with him. Now, they've got Xavier Rhodes, who's an all-pro corner for Minnesota, going up against them, and he's a really good jammer. He gets his hands on receivers. And this particular play, what's so impressive is you've got Brandon Marshall who slips the, the jam and works himself, fakes inside, slips it back outside, and now Russell can see the field. He can see where the danger is. And the only danger was Rhodes at that point. So he throws an easy fade, and it gets more impressive because it was an okay throw. He goes up and catches the ball with a six-foot-five frame, and then he one hand latches it into his body. One hand, and Rhodes came up to knock the ball away. 99% of the time, that ball is knocked away. It didn't even move an inch. It was locked down. That's how strong he is. This is the kind of stuff they're trying to do for Russell is let him see the field. Give him some big targets outside. We'll see one coming up later, too, in in these uh, little clips. Next play also from week three against the Vikings. One of my favorite players to watch this year is going to be, and I think is going to explode onto the scene, Chris Carson with a six-yard touchdown against the Vikings. Slot left, Russell from the shotgun, hands off inside. Carson, he goes in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Chris Carson almost not touched as he breaks through the line of scrimmage. And that was the kind of drive, Mac, that you wanted to answer back. Well, I'll tell you what, 
Paul, we trying to name this play. It was a pulling guard, and it looks, I think they called it a trap, but one of the things you got is a pulling guard from the backside, the left guard, which is Ethan Posick, who yep. does a great job. And then the right side of the line, which is DJ Fluker and Jermaine Effetti, they just entirely wash the entire defense of uh, the Vikings down. So, but, but the thing that's so impressive, and really Chris Carson didn't really just walk into the end zone. The, one of the things that he's so good at is his timing. Yeah. Uh, he hesitates a little bit, and then he hits the gas. And that's the thing that you see out of Chris Carson. And that's something that's innate. I, I think it's impulse. You can't really coach that. And, uh, and it's great blocking, of course, on this play. It is. But you've got a really good run and great timing from Chris Carson. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll call it an, an inside trap. A lot of times traps are designed to go outside the tackle. The tackle blocks down, and you bring a guard around the, the defensive end. And in this case, they brought it inside the center and the guard, and Effetti went through to the linebacker, who did a great he did a great job because he, he he could have pancaked the linebacker. I'm going to go to what you were talking about on Chris Carson. What what he did so well there is he 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 was patient with it because the first thing that flashed in this particular play was to the left side where the guard ended up pulling from. If he had taken that, a linebacker would have slipped into that hole and would have made the tackle. Instead, he just delayed it just a fraction, let Posick get his trap play where he kicked the guy outside, and then he had smooth sailing coming off Effetti's rear end on that too. So uh, very patient. Penny has this ability too. We didn't didn't get to see it because of his finger during the preseason, but both of them are very patient runners that let the play develop. Well, I've been pounding the drum on this uh, on our show. I know that we talk about offensive line, and yes, it's very important, but it's also on the running back a lot, and I think more than the offensive line. It's about timing, and uh, that's what you see. Rashad Penny, very simply put, he runs to the right places. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, really, he makes good decisions, and that's not something, like I said, you can sit there and coach. And our last play, uh, preseason again, uh, week three versus the Vikings, David Moore. From a, as Danny calls it, uh, Danny O'Neill calls it the directional Oklahoma school because it's like East Central. I can never remember which one it is. But <laughs> David Moore, a seventh round draft choice uh, last year, he caught a 36 yard touchdown from Alex Magoo, who was a draft choice this year for the Seahawks. Procise in the backfield, play fake to him. Magoo throws near side, back shoulder. It is Moore, and he is going to trot in for the touchdown. David Moore, boy, has he come up big in the last two weeks. A 36-yard touchdown reception on the back shoulder throw from rookie Alex Magoo. One of the things that Brian Schottenheimer, the offensive coordinator, said, and this is why Alex Magoo is on the practice squad. He got waived. All nine draft choices made the team in one form or another. Jamarco Jones got put on IR, yep. unfortunately. But, uh, but Alex Magoo, one of the things Schottenheimer said about him was he, there's no throw he can't make. The problem was for him, typical rookie stuff. I mean, you have to, I don't want to say dumb it down, but you've got to pair the, the play calling down a little bit so he can handle it because it's a lot, and that's a tough position to play. But he puts the ball right where no one else can get it. And then you see David Moore, Paul, I thought during the preseason, man, he made his case very early on, very clearly that he was going to make this team. Yeah, you're looking for guys like David Moore. And by the way, he's from East Central, East Oklahoma. Central. Okay. Oklahoma. Uh, another good size target. You know, he's over six foot tall. He's 215 pounds. And and I really think we're starting to see some themes here from Schottenheimer in that they want Russell to be able to look at a certain side of the field, 
and make a decision. Without, you know, a lot of times with crossing routes and in routes, it's where's the safety, where's the linebacker, I've got to pick up protection as well. In this case, I'm looking outside, where's the corner playing? And so on this one, he throws it to his right. You've got David Moore lined up about on the numbers. He makes an outside release. He gets a good release, so he's got his shoulders upfield. Now the corner's scrambling, but the whole time he's looking back, and they're reading it, and he makes the back shoulder throw. He's so strong when he makes the catch that he can get out of tackles from corners. And, you know, a lot of times we go, oh, we need 40-yard throws and and 30-yard throws. No, you can use a 15-yard throw and turn it into a 36, 37-yard touchdown. And that's what we saw there was a guy making a play, breaking a tackle, taking it to the house. Yeah, and for a receiver, it's just about finding separation at some point so you can get away from the defender. And uh, and at 8 o'clock, we're going to talk to Jerron Brown, who's really good at that i thought that's where he excelled the most is getting that kind of separation and it's going to be a great weapon for russell wilson to use coming up next on hawks live john clayton will join us Hawks Live. Yeah. It's time to talk to the professor. John, how are you doing? Mr. Clayton. Do we have John Clayton? We should be. I'm sure he's we home watching the, the Thursday night football. Can you hear me? Game. Oh, there, oh, he, there is. he is. There Hi, John. Go. How are you doing? I'm doing better than this game, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of offense, I understand. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't know what's been worse. You know, what, what Steve Sarkeesian's offense or watching Nick Foles at quarterback. Ooh. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of a shame because, man, he was so good at the end of, of last year and won him a Super Bowl and was so good. But uh, I understand he kind of struggled in the preseason a little bit. What What's going on with Sarkeesian? Because you've mentioned that a couple of times with us and that you think that he's probably on the hot seat more than anyone else. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, it, it just seems like their red zone offense is just brutal. Now, go back to Kyle Shanahan in his first year with, uh, you know, Matt Ryan. You know, he didn't throw any fade passes to Julio Jones. They were not good in the red zone. And then in year two, they were so good. Because I think what happened is that, you know, Kyle listened to what Matt Ryan wanted to do. Because you remember, in the first year, Kyle Shanahan, uh, the offensive coordinator at that time, who's now at San Francisco, went ahead and pretty much did his thing. And he didn't do fade passes, you know, which, of course, you need to do with Julio Jones. And he really was out of sync. In the second year, they were totally there, and they went to the Super Bowl, averaged more than 30 points a game, and they were great. Well, you look what's going on right now with Steve Sarkeesian. You've got Matt Ryan. You've got Julio Jones. You've got really three pretty good wide receivers. Muhammad Sanu's good. You know, they drafted Ridley, who's real good. <clears throat> That's a good group. But, you know, you watch the red zone plays, and here's Matt Ryan. He's not even looking at Julio Jones. Now, Matt Ryan's going to listen to the play call, and the play call, if it doesn't have Julio Jones involved, it's no different than maybe the first couple years of Jimmy Graham when you really didn't look to him in the red zone. To me, I don't understand it. It's a weird year, John. You know, that's the first time, you know, one, I'm just glad football's back. Agreed. You know, it is, it does feel like it, it should be a holiday you know, for the next week or two. Um, but, you know, just looking at the Seahawks, you know, we brought this up a couple times tonight, but, you know, just a few years ago, we're, we're in the Super Bowl. Denver won a Super Bowl. And now these two teams, where they are today, you know, just 
you know, what's your thoughts on the Seahawks going into this season? Just big 30,000-foot pitcher, your, your thoughts go, you know, for success for them. Well, they're better than people think outside of this area. Because, again, people don't realize, you know, number one, when you have a top five, top six quarterback like uh, Russell Wilson, you're not going to lose more than eight games. I know there's been five examples, only five, since 2008. It depends on where you put Cam Newton. Now, Cam Newton was MVP, you know, clearly jumps to number four for one year. And he goes up for 15 and one season with an easy schedule, and he comes back with a tough schedule and he goes six and ten. You know, but what you can see is that if you have a top five, top six quarterbacks, he corrects the mistakes that might be there. So for talent, if you're a six, five win team, he can get you to eight or nine. And so that's one thing. And the key is two things that you've got to prevent. And I think the Seahawks are trying to see if they can prevent it. We'll see if they do. You know, don't give up more than 25 points a game. Second thing is be able to run the football. Well, the emphasis is on running the football. Because, again, when you look at uh, what was going on in New Orleans, you know, here's three years at 7-9. and nine, They couldn't run the football, and they gave up 27 to 29 points a game. If the Seahawks can, you know, be a defense that gives up 23 points or less, which you look at the end of last year, that's what they were because they didn't have Cliff Averill. They didn't have Cam Chancellor. They didn't have Richard Sherman. They give up 23 points. Okay, you can survive that with a great quarterback. And if that's going to be the case, you can get to 9 and the better the running game, then you can get to 10. Yeah, John, you know, I think that's the discounting that's, that's happening. It's like you forgot that you have Russell Wilson, you have Pete Carroll, you have Bobby Wagner, and now you got Earl Thomas, John. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do you envision that they work him in in this game? Is it going to be all in right from the get-go, or they work him in? Or uh, what, what have you been hearing from, from Pete Carroll? Well, I mean, we've not heard the plan because I don't know if he has the total plan yet. I'm sure by tomorrow he's going to have the total plan. But you have to think, the way he embraced him on Wednesday. And if Ian Rappaport is true that they waive not all, but most of the fines, then he can be in because apparently they must have had a conversation that says, you know, hey, Earl tells them, I want to be a Seahawk. Okay, so maybe what you do, you start Tedrick Thompson, then you come in and you mix in some things with Earl Thomas so he doesn't have to play 60, 63 plays, and you work it so that, you know, he can come in Help the guys out in the secondary because, again, where Earl is so good, he gives the cornerback so much space to be able to to roam because Earl, Earl can cover up for just about anything that's going to be there. So you work Earl in, so maybe it's 25, 35 plays. How, how he's going to work it, I have no idea. But all I know is that the thing that's caught me cold is how well they welcomed him back. And by welcoming him back, you get a, a Hall of Fame type of player who can really play that position better than Tedrick Thompson. And again, you give Tedrick some snaps, maybe more snaps than Earl, but you work Earl in so he doesn't get a hamstring injury. Yeah, I think the toughest thing for Earl is, you know, as much as he, he conditioned himself, and he did. I mean, he worked yeah. hard. It's still, man, trying to get in game shape in Denver, mile high, um, that, that's a tough one. Um, hey, John... I was feeling pretty good going into this game, particularly offensively. They, they've had a lot of long drives. Maybe they haven't put a bunch of points up in preseason, but the starting group, you know, there's a lot of eight, ten play drives, lots of yards, feeling good. And then I hear Fluker, who has played phenomenal since he's been here, is injured. Give us some updates on Fluker as well as Dante Johnson. Well, Dante, I think, is going to be okay because, again, he's going to be the key right now to the season. Uh, you know, he, fight the, he fought the knee injury but uh, early and in, in battled in that and then, of course, won the starting job. 
I mean, because you know Byron Maxwell goes on injured reserve, and of course, if anything happens to Johnson, they go to Trey Flowers, and Trey Flowers has been sensational. But you would rather have the more experienced guy out there at cornerback. In the case of Fluker, I mean, it's going to be you know one of those things. We'll see what he does tomorrow, and if he is able to practice a little bit, then he should be able to play. If not, they're going to go with uh, J.R. Sweezy, which of course that's one of the reasons they kept the experienced guy from 2012 draft. And so at least they have options right now. But again, I think they would rather have Fluker because they'd rather have as much continuity on the offensive line as they can because that's the one thing Russell Wilson has been talking about the last three weeks. He thinks as long as they have Fluker out there, a Fetty out there, then they have probably the most continuity they've had since 2013 on the offensive line. Maybe it's not going to be great, but it's still it's better than what they've had the last couple of years. I thought one of the biggest surprises uh, when the rosters were set, five r- tailbacks, halfbacks, whatever we want to call them today. And, you know, Mike Davis and, and C.J. Procise, I thought, were battling for that last one. One, did that surprise you? And two, is, is this still set in stone? No, nothing set in stone with this roster because, again, this goes back to 2010, 2011. You know, 2010, they had 250 transactions, and I think they're always going to be loose to things. But I think what the idea is is that you needed to keep, at the beginning, five running backs. And because of that, you know, because, you, know, we, you know, usually have two guys hurt. I mean, this team for the last several years has had not more than one running back who's been healthy enough to start seven games in the last three, four, five years. And so you need that extra running back because you go into most weeks, the bad luck this team's had, they've had two running backs hurt. Well, the one thing is, okay, so they put J.D. McKissick on injured reserve. Remember, they have two abilities to take players off of injured reserve and bring them back to the roster whenever they want. It was going to be after maybe eight games all right so they can bring you know mckissick back if they want but they also have trey madden who uh, is the fullback so that gives them five options at the running back position so i'm not surprised about that at all because you know had they cut jd mckissick then they're down to four and if two guys are hurt then you're really in trouble because if anybody gets hurt during a game you're scrambling for a running back you know, John, just really quick, uh, the level of dysfunction in Pittsburgh is unbelievable yeah. to me. And, and, you know, you see that the Seahawks had a holdout as well with Earl, and the way they handled it is just night and day compared to what's going on in Pittsburgh. Just quick thoughts on, on that, that level, of, like I said, of, yeah. of family dysfunction in Pittsburgh. Well, it's not the Steelers. I mean, the Steelers, are, you know, they've had him paid as a franchise player. They're paying him $14.5 million a year. They're willing to give him over $14 million a year in a contract. And, you know, they covered even last year the ability for the two years that he had the franchise tag to pay him more than he was going to make in the franchise tag for two years. This is selfish by Le'Veon Bell. I think the players now acknowledge that because, again, and once you get past July 16th, you can't negotiate anything more than the one-year deal. That's just the rule for franchise players. And so he's more worried about next year than he is this year because he doesn't want to get 400 carries and get beat up and they be at lesser of value. That doesn't go well with the Steelers. The offensive linemen are ripping him. The Steelers internally are ripping him. And they should rip him. He's selfish and he doesn't care about his team. He cares about himself. And Le'Veon Bell is on an island to his own and is not a good island. Well, John, I look forward to seeing you out in Denver. It's probably where I'll see you next, and uh, thanks for joining us. Okay, talk to you tomorrow. Take care, Professor. There goes John Clayton. Coming up next, it's Jerron Brown, the newest uh, receiver from Arizona to, to come in. He's just had a fantastic preseason. That's next on Hawks Live.